0: Good afternoon, everybody. God bless you. Nice to see you all. And to you get your Bibles ready, open up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we're going to look at a woman worshiping Jesus today. Tie a couple of themes together as we do that. If you're not sure what worship looks like, we're going to see it tonight. Luke chapter 7, most of us are familiar with the story, I'm going to read a lengthy passage of scripture to tie it all together. We're going to start actually in verse 15. We'll read to verse 15. Sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave them to his mother. Fear sized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole land of Judea and all the surrounding country. The disciples of John the Baptist reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, Jesus, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, Jesus healed many people of their diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go tell John what you have seen and heard, The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John the Baptist. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? Jesus says, they are like children sitting in a marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of anointment. And standing behind him, behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a great prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of the both. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven, woman. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this one who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go on, peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again and again and again. As we read the scriptures and we meditate on the word, we see our own life in the scriptures, Father. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us of our many sins. We thank you, O God, that we are the children of God's wisdom. We thank you that we heard the dirge and we wept over our sin. We thank you that we heard the fruit and we danced for rejoicing of our salvation. We thank you, O God, that we have received the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ by your grace. We thank you, O God, that we know that we know that we know our sins are truly forgiven and that we know you are a friend of ours now. Come and bless this service, Father God. Bless the preaching of the gospel, Father God. Anoint my lips to somehow, some way, I can do some kind of justice to this marvelous story we just read. In Jesus' name I pray. We have here a story of a woman who expresses great love towards Christ. This love is manifested from a grateful, grateful heart. A gratitude she has, the gratitude she has is a direct response to the forgiveness which she received. A forgiveness which is greater than her many, many sins forgiveness from God is not just nearly enough. As Christians, we have to learn that. God's forgiveness is not just nearly enough, but always plenty enough to wash away all sin stains in our life and bring us into a perfect relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But the story here, that I, I don't I do want to speak about the story about the, the, the sinful woman being forgiven by Christ, but the story doesn't start here. That's why I went all the way back to verse 15. That's where the story begins to build up. Uh, So we went all the way back there because the woman here that's repenting, the woman that's worshiping Christ, the woman that's anointing his feet with her tears and wiping her feet with her hair and kissing her feet and anointing them with ointment, understand something. This woman is a product. She's the fruit of both John the Baptist's ministry and Christ's ministry. It's important for us to know that. Jesus sums it up in verse 35. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. I will explain that as we go along. Verses 18 to 35 give us a setting for this woman. And the setting has a lot of tension in it. You might not see it there, but the tension is represented in John the Baptist's question. Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the long-awaited-for deliverer of Israel? There's a little doubt in John's question. Or should we look for another? There's a reason there's doubt. We'll speak about that. But there's also some tension in the people's cry when they heard Jesus vindicate John the Baptist and his ministry. They sort of rejoice and they cried out and said, God is just. I knew when that man preached and I was baptized by that John the Baptist, something happened in my heart. I knew that... Sins were forgiven, and I knew I was back in a relationship with God. I was, I was extended mercy. They knew it in their heart. But something started to happen. There was a sense of transposition taking place in the kingdom of God. John the Baptist, his ministry is over. His ministry lasted one year. But in John's own words, I must decrease that Christ must increase and this is what's taking place now John's imprisonment brings John face to face with a couple of things his own death he can sense there's a sure death going to take place because he has an enemy his name is Herod the king a great enemy because he called him out once before for sleeping with his brother's sister and Herod didn't like that either. did the sister and so we know the rest of the story he is to beheaded But it's also something else. John the Baptist realizes that when Messiah comes, that he's going to set the captive free. John the Baptist is in jail, and he's not set free. He's got deep, genuine concerns. Is this the Christ, or should we look for another one? I baptized you, Jesus, I know. I saw the heavens open. I saw the dove come down. I heard the heavenly divine voice say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. But it doesn't look like it's going the way it's supposed to go. Isn't that the way with life sometimes? wasn't the nation excited John the Baptist was excited Jesus was amongst his people Messiah was here surely God was going to do great things out for us and here I am in jail with a a sure death going on and my cousin which is Jesus who's healing everybody who's called to set the captive free can't do anything for me surely some doubt has risen in John's heart but there's more to it than just about John John's more concerned with everybody he preached to. He was more concerned with everybody that believed his message because John's message was two part Repent and turn to God and there is one amongst us whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Christ. But the scriptures teach us something else. The scriptures hold out a principle that we see right now. We see it in the life of Paul. We see it in the life of Christ. We see it in the life of David. And it goes like this. If the teacher is in jail and going to die, then maybe we believed in vain. Remember what they told Jesus as he hung on the cross? You save others. Can you not save your... Why should I listen to you? You're a crucified criminal on the cross. you message a I don't care how many people you healed. It's doing no good for you. How about Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13? He says to the Ephesians, So I ask you, don't lose heart over what, you, what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. Truly, when the shepherd is smitten, the flock will scatter. So the principle is, John is concerned. What about all those people I told, that and I pointed and said, he's the Christ, follow him. But maybe you're not the Christ. Maybe I misled people. That's why Jesus vindicates John's message, and all the people cry out and say, God is just. I didn't believe in vain. Though John the Baptist is in jail, he's in prison, I believed, I heard God. Voice when I heard him preach. When I went out to the Jordan, when I went out into the wilderness to see that strange human being called John the Baptist who was eating locusts and honey and wearing camel hair, I knew something happened to me that day. I turned away from my sin, I turned away from my prostitution, I turned away from my fornication, I turned away from my drunkenness. Something happened to me that day. But now the leader in his short ministry is in jail. So it's only natural that people would get a little antsy. And Jesus settles all their souls. He told John the Baptist to his disciples, his emissaries, go tell John what you just saw in the last hour. Go tell him that the dead are raised, the leopards are cleansed, and the blind see. Go tell him and the poor are getting good news, priesthood. That's all the fulfillment of the gospel that we see in Isaiah the prophet. Jesus vindicates John's unique call and his unique ministry. John was a true Old Testament prophet. He puts the heart of the people at ease and at the same time he condemns the religious leaders, the Pharisees, for not believing. Now he gives a short parable about children in the marketplace. What's this all about? Well, it's just an analogy of both the ministry of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus. John the Baptist's ministry is compared to someone who sang a dirge. That's a, a song of lamentation at a funeral. John was an ascetic type of character. He, was, he treated himself severely. He disciplined his body. He made his life to fast and to pray in the wilderness when he preached, it, it cut to the heart. When they went out to see this man in the wilderness, he didn't come out of the wilderness. They went to the wilderness to see him and to be baptized by him. They, they heard his message. John didn't walk amongst the people. He preached to the people. And their hearts were cut open when they heard the preaching of John the Baptist. It was like a lamp. they, they lament in their own sin. But they heard the voice of God in that. But when Jesus came, he wasn't out in the wilderness, he came to the city. He walks amongst the people. He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus had a more eye-to-eye, face-to-face ministry, hands-on type of ministry. And when he spoke about the kingdom of God, it was like a flute. And it made the soul dance. We have two different ministries being represented but the same element solidifies both of them they both preach repentance and faith in God John the Baptist did it in a very strong manner Jesus did it in a very soft manner the Pharisees didn't like either one they didn't like John the Baptist preaching you know what Pharisee means? It means a separatist. That's what the word means. It means a person that has taken upon himself to follow every jot and tittle, every commandment to the best of their ability and to live for God. But they did not listen to John the Baptist. And it's interesting because they were intimidated by John the Baptist because John the Baptist was a true separatist. John the Baptist was the man of God. They were intimidated by him and his ministry. They were intimidated by the message he preached. And they were intimidated by the way he preached it. They didn't like him nor his message. Then the Son of Man comes, Jesus Christ. And he's eating and drinking what the sin is. He's drinking wine. He's eating food. He's getting invited to the tax collector's house. He's invited to parties. He's going there. He's eye to eye with people. He's hands on in the ministry. He's loving people. He's telling the, the love of God has come close to you. And they're believing both their ministries. This woman, I truly believe, is a product of both. She was part of that crowd that when Jesus vindicated John the Baptist, her heart rejoiced. Because she wasn't forgiven when she went to the party to see Jesus. She was already forgiven. That's why she was pouring out her heart and pouring out her best. She was already forgiven through the Baptist ministry, vindicated by Christ. She heard the Baptist preach and she sang the dirge. Then she heard the voice of the Savior, and she danced to the floor. The religious leaders refused. They were both strange ministers. Verse 35 tells us that this kind of wisdom of God The preaching of John the Baptist and the preaching of Jesus. Two different philosophy styles, two different dispositions. They couldn't be further than different. John the Baptist and Jesus were different people, but yet they preached the same message. And it's called here in verse 35 Yet wisdom is justified by all. The children. Though the Pharisees wanted nothing to do with John the Baptist style of preaching or his message, nor they wanted to do anything with the drunken, glutton Jesus Christ and his message and his philosophy and the way he did it, understand something. Jesus knew something. That people would respond to both their preaching. And they did. This is the wisdom of God. And now we go into a story about a woman who is the product of this wisdom. She's a justified sinner. She's a child of grace. She's a child of God. She's a child of wisdom. She is a product and the fruit of the ministry of John the Baptist and of Jesus Christ. And now the, the writer Luke is going to give us a short story of what this wisdom looks like. And that's what brings us to our text tonight. we have this beautiful picture of the wisdom of God in action. This childlike faith in Christ, this woman has, has forgiven her sins. She's heard the message of John, she heard the message of Jesus, and she responds. And the backdrop to all this is the Pharisees' high opinion of themselves and their low opinion of everybody else. To the story, Jesus is invited by Simon, he's a religious leader, to dine with him and with other guests. Probably for the sake of inquiry. Because as we read in verse 16, they wanted to know something. Is he a great prophet? Has God visited his people? We've heard the stories about this man. He's he's eating with tax collectors. That's a no-no in religious circles 2,000 years ago. Worse than that, he's eating with sinners. A double no-no. That's no good. You cannot possibly be a prophet if you're doing all these things. Let's invite him to dinner. We'll give an inquiry, silent, and we'll find out if he's a true prophet or not. At these dinners 2,000 years ago, usually people in the town were welcome to come. When a traveling rabbi would come, someone of influence would invite the rabbi and they would sit down and have religious talk and the people were allowed to come. Even if they weren't the ones invited, got a seat. Everybody else stood. But they weren't invited. It was open for all people. Simon would have never dreamed of this sinful woman coming. Because they already felt alienated from God and from the religious culture, both by their own sin and the leaders who ostracized them. But God's wisdom is at work here. And this sinful woman who has already heard the message through John and Jesus and believed the Baptist preaching, understand something, about repentance and about forgiveness and believing that someone greater than John was here and is now sitting in Simon's house, she comes and she doesn't care what the people think about her. She don't care what her past used to say. She don't care what the people used to see in her. She sees only Jesus. That is it. And not only comes, but it says when she learned, when she understood, when she investigated, that's what the word means, and she perceived that Jesus was there, the one that John the Baptist pointed to, the one that vindicated John the Baptist's ministry, and all the people rejoiced because God was just. She learned he was there, and she did not care, and she was going to go. And she goes unashamed. And so she would. And she lavishes on Christ with all her grateful heart. Represented here in tears, hair washing, kisses of the feet, perfume. And Jesus, who probably wasn't even looking at her. As this whole thing was going on, you've got a, a room full of people, you've got a table full of dignitaries, and Jesus is reclining, and this woman is showering his feet with her tears. Jesus is not even looking at her. He's looking at the faces of everybody else. He sees the shock and the horror. Does not he know She's a sinner touching him. How could this be a prophet? No prophet would truly let a sinful woman touch him. Jesus turns to Simon and says, "This woman, look at her, Simon." The story has—it's a parable about two days. 2 twofold reason. It's to explain the mercy of God and its natural effects—a grateful heart. That's the wisdom of God on a wayward sin. and to catch Simon his own craftiness and reveal his own self-righteousness. The story is brilliant in its simplistic nature of two debtors represented in a sinful woman and a religious leader. Simon had no idea what he was getting into. The ability to penetrate the sinful human heart and reveal to all its ugliness. Simon, who by nature, who should have by nature accommodated Jesus Christ in a courteous manner, according to the law of hospitality, Jesus is both a guest and he's a guest of honor. But his lack of hospitality should show that he already judged Christ. He invited Christ, yes, but he already drew a conclusion. That no way this man could be a great prophet. He eats with sinners. No way could this man be a great deliverer for God. He eats and drinks with tax collectors. But we'll have them anyway. Religious curiosity. But the text gives us a couple of answers here. First of all, in his own mind, he saw no need of forgiveness from God. And he saw no need for God to forgive the woman. That's probably the worst sin. He was one of those who heard John the Baptist, but he did not believe. They were losers, outcasts, drunkards, harlots, tax collectors. I'm a dignified religious leader within the community. Should I go out to John the Baptist and be baptized by him? Surely he should be baptized by me. His mind is already made up on the other hand the woman's totally aware of all her sins and when someone's aware of all their sins they'll, be, they'll come to know that they need God where else can you go when you know you're a sinner she repents and seeks forgiveness like we said before when John preached it sounded like a man calling people to lament and to weep and to mourn for their sins when Jesus preaches sound like someone saying, stand up and dance. Understand something about the book of Luke. Every instance of a sinner being forgiven in the gospel of Luke, there's always a party. There's a lost coin, and they partied. There's the lost sheep, they threw a party. There's the prodigal son, they threw a party. This woman's forgiven, she's at a party. The paralytic in chapter 5, his sins forgiven, he walks away healed, everybody rejoices and glorifies God. There's a message in there. And Luke wants us to know, the writer, the author of this gospel wants us to know, that, and he says it clearly, when one sinner repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. The Pharisee could not see this. That was Christ's message. It sounded like a food. I remember when I got saved, I couldn't stop crying. I sat in the back of a church and the tears were just coming down. I just—I had such joy. Just such joy. I wept later for my sin, though. And I'm still weeping over my sin. But I'm still rejoicing with Christ over 20-something years later. Because that's the message of the gospel. This is the wisdom of God being vindicated. This is the wisdom of God justified in the fruit of ministry the world doesn't see. They see we get together over here and we sing songs and we read Bibles and we talk about Jesus and they just think we're just strange. But they don't know that we are the handiwork of God. They have no idea that, oh, yeah, yeah, God, but you did it yourself. I know you you did it yourself. And you say, no, no, God did it for me. I was a sinner. I was going nowhere. I had nothing. I I was destitute of spirit and morals and virtue. and, And God did a great work in my life. Oh, no, but you're a good guy. No, I'm not a good guy. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Please let me tell you who I really am. I'm really a sinner. Mom, I'm a sinner. But yet, wisdom is justified by all the children. They don't see the testimony of Christ in our hearts. They don't see what Jesus has done for us. They don't see when we're telling them, saying, let me tell you who I used to be, the way I used to think. I share this many times from, usually at the men's groups when I'm hanging around certain men and there. They're saying some nasty things and, you know, they, they're expecting me to laugh. You know, guys do that and the other guys laugh, but I don't laugh. And I stare at them with a cold face and they get all uncomfortable because they're expecting a laugh and they don't get no laugh. And I say, I used to think like you. I used to think with a perversion like that. But Jesus came and set me free. And Everything is low. Mm. But I've learned over the years I'm not going to allow someone to rule my mind. But I will share them my Savior. And we're all called to do that. That's that the wisdom of God is justified in his children. We are a testimony... To the wisdom of God. This woman's a testimony to the wisdom of God. If you are a Christian, you're a testimony to the wisdom of God. Every praise that comes from your lips, all the joy, is a testimony to the wisdom of God. That you heard something one day, somewhere by someone, it might have sounded like Jesus' ministry. It might have sounded like John the Baptist's ministry. But you responded and you believe and your heart can go and thump, thump, thump ever since. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. let's move over to some application. How do we respond to worship in Christ? Do we find ourselves crying all the time and wiping Jesus' feet with our tears and anointing with oil and so on and so forth? Do we find this kind of deep, overt reaction to the forgiveness of our sins. Sometimes we do. Not all the time. This woman probably matured in her faith and probably had a great living testimony to Christ, but she probably wasn't crying all the time. Probably wasn't weeping all the time. Many people, when they're first saved, when they come out of really dark lifestyles, their heart is overwhelmed by what Jesus has done. The rest of us who don't come from really dark lifestyles but over years find out, that we were just as wretched as she was. We come to a maturing faith and a deeper love for Christ as we reflect on everything Christ has done for us. And we become great lovers of Christ because we find out through years and years of teaching that we were all great sinners. And God still gave us mercy. Do we recognize the great sin in our life? Do we recognize what Christ has done for us over the years? Has our worship of Christ, I ask all Christians, has your worship of Christ gotten sweetened sweeter over the years? Is there, is there a, a sweet closeness when we close our eyes and worship God? Is there something sweet to obedience to Christ? Are we maturing? Is the death of Christ greater today than when we first believed Do we act like the woman, or do we act like Simon the Pharisee? Have we judged other people's worship? Do we judge the way people worship or seemingly don't worship? Do we judge people that are zealous in their faith and sometimes demonstrous in their worship of God, not knowing their background, not knowing what Christ has done for them, not knowing the freedom they have, not knowing the many sins they might have been forgiven of. Do we do we judge people? Do we judge the conservative Christian who's more somber in his worship or their worship? And with eyes closed, they're constantly meditating on the deep promises of the gospel, of what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, what Christ is going to do. Do we fall into a trap as Christians sometimes thinking someone's not uh, worshipping or someone's not worshipping the right way? Do we fall into that trap? Should we not all just keep our eyes fixed on Christ and worship Him alone, the audience of one? Do we find ourselves not like this woman but being very self-conscious in our worship of God? Do we withdraw and pull back because there's people watching in our worship? And we don't give Jesus the sweetness of our worship and our affection. Religion and affection should be the same words that flow off the same tongue. It doesn't need to be cold and callous and mechanical. Where are our affections for Jesus? Are they there? Are they real? Preaching. What kind of preaching styles do we like? Do we shy away from the John the Baptist style of preaching? That searching, calculating, getting into our heart and revealing our desperate need for Christ at all times? Do we avoid that kind of ascetic, severe style of preaching? And we move over to the more, if it doesn't sound like a flute, I don't want to hear it, style of preaching. It's got to be the type of preaching that makes me sing all the time, but not make me sing. Every message has got to be the uplifting, I feel great about myself message. Because if the message is about yourself, then chances are we get you to feel good. But if it's about God, you're not always going to feel good, I'm going to tell you that right now. A message sometimes should sing, sometimes a message should make us sing. All Christian ministries should have a bit of both in their preaching. There are times when you're hearing the preacher preach, it should be like, it's the voices of angels. And you're worshiping with the celestial choir. Other times we should look for a rock to hide. Most of the time. But we should. Ministry should have both in it. Because it's not the minister, though. John the Baptist and Jesus were two different personalities. Their dispositions were totally different. They preached the same message about the same God, the same need of repentance, the same need of faith. Many of us wouldn't find ourselves washing Jesus' feet. I mean, if he was here, maybe we would but Jesus didn't leave us a command after he washed the disciples feet he said as you saw me do to you you ought to do to one another I leave you one commandment he says one new commandment that you love one another this ties into the last several weeks as I spoke about communion and that communion and discerning the body of Christ is not getting up and taking a piece of body and bread and going through some mechanical observation, some mechanical religious observation. It is a time of reflection. It is a time of discerning the body of Christ properly. To investigate, understand the gospel, while Christ has called us to. That it's not just Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. Jesus is our personal Lord and Savior. And if I'm going to love Christ, I have to love His people. And the way we have opportunity, responsibility, and privilege today to wash Jesus' feet is by loving one another. Isn't it nice to know that somehow, someway, we can truly love Christ with an outpouring of our heart the way this woman did 2,000 years ago. That Christ has left us a way to show our deep affection towards him and what he has done in our life. Is our faith and our worship and obedience to Christ becoming sweeter on the inside? Or is it becoming mechanical? Is it getting dry? because we can all go there. Have we truly forgotten what Christ has delivered us? I bring everybody back to reflect just one moment on when you got saved. What did Christ save you from? What did Jesus forgive you of? Where would you be today if Jesus didn't step into your life whenever he did? Where would you be today? thank you Lord we thank you for the story of this this wonderful story of this broken woman who is the fruit of the ministry of Christ and John the Baptist wisdom is justified your wisdom is justified by your children Father God and the testimony of what you've done in our life Father God Father God let us never be insecure let us never be uh, ashamed of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us, Father God. Let us never be, Father God, so caught up in the world that we forget to truly give Jesus the sweetest of all worship, Father. God, help us to respond in the proper attitude as we discern the body and the blood of Christ and what he has done for us, Father God. Let the gospel and all its wonderful promises never fall on deaf ears, Father God. Father, if there's anybody in this room today that has never responded by faith to the gospel message, I pray as they sit here today, Father God, that they ask Jesus to come into their life, that they simply recognize that they have sinned against God, that their sins are many, but Christ forgives them. He died for them. Let them know, Father. Let them ask them. Ask Jesus into your life. With all eyes closed, for a moment. If you want to be that person, and ask Jesus to come into your life, just just ask Him right now where you are. Ask Him for forgiveness. Ask Him to come into your life and take control of your life. If you do that today, please see me after this service. In Christ's name.